Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Hear these words. When the apostles returned, they described for Jesus what they had done. Taking them with him, Jesus withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds figured it out, they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about God's kingdom and healed those who were sick. When the day was almost over, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the nearby villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we are in a deserted place. He replied, You give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, and unless we go and buy food for all these people. They said this because about 5,000 men were present. Jesus said to his disciples, seat them in groups of about 50. They did so, and everyone was seated. He took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them and broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate until they were full, and the disciples filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Back in the day, I had the opportunity uh, to go to Uganda for a summer when I was in seminary. Uganda is a country in East Africa, and I spent 10 weeks there serving with a Catholic parish. And the Catholic priest, who was the leader of the internship program, He was officiating a wedding near the end of the summer. And this wedding was a big to-do. For weeks, people were talking about this wedding. And people kept asking me if I was going to the wedding. Now, I am from America. And in American culture, you just don't go to a wedding unless you have what? An invitation, right? You need to have an invitation and you better RSVP by the deadline, right? Or else the bride or her mother or somebody is going to get you. And so I said, well, I wasn't invited. And they were like, oh, no, 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 you're invited. You need to go to the wedding. And I was like, but I didn't get an invitation. And I was nervous. I didn't want to just show up to a wedding uninvited. Because I know in American culture what that would mean. 
Well, the day of the wedding arrives, and sure enough, not only, I guess, was I invited, I was expected to be there. And so I went to the wedding ceremony in the church and then to the wedding reception afterwards. And the whole time I just kept worrying, oh gosh, I hope I don't eat. You know, the food that I eat at this reception isn't taking food away from an invited guest. I was stressed the whole time I was there. You see, from my experience, I prefer to be invited specifically to an event, to know that it's okay for me to show up, for me to be there, that the party planner or the host or whoever has planned for me to be there, wants me to be there, perhaps invited me specifically because of who I am or something I have to offer to the party or to the other guests that are present. It feels good to get those specific invitations, doesn't it? Even if it's to a birthday party or a dinner gathering, something simple with friends, a phone call or a text message saying, hey, come on over, let's get together. That warms our hearts, makes us feel seen and heard, that someone values our presence and sees something in us that they want to enjoy or, or need in their life, perhaps. Today we're starting a new sermon series called A Better World is Possible. To say that a better world is possible involves taking an honest look at the world and dreaming how it could be better. The idea that a better world is possible is no naive Pollyanna statement. To claim that a better world is possible is actually to draw deep from the well of hope. Theologian N.T. Wright describes hope as what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to change the world. As people of faith, as people who are resurrection people, to say that a better world is possible is to say that resurrection is possible, that the God of the universe who created is still creating and sustaining creation. And this God is not done yet. God is at work cultivating and raising up a new creation where there will be no war, no more pain, no more separation, and no more tears. We long for that new creation. We long for that better world. God invites us specifically you and me, to join with God in bringing about this better world, this new creation. And so this month, Pastor Vance and I invite you to consider how we here at First Church can be part of making a better world possible. That it's not just us. 
We believe that this is what God is calling each and every one of us to do here in February, but also in March and in April and beyond. God invites. God gives us opportunities to respond. How will we respond? In our scripture passage for today, Jesus and his disciples retreat to a quiet place outside the town of Bethsaida. And while the disciples may have craved rest and some time for quiet conversation with Jesus, the crowd had other plans. People heard that Jesus was there, and so they gathered. They gathered to hear Jesus talk about God's kingdom. They gathered so that Jesus could heal. Jesus once again demonstrates care for the minds, bodies, and souls of the people present. The day grows long, and soon it is time for the evening meal. The disciples, they they come to Jesus with a problem, but they have a solution already in mind. Don't you love that when people come to you with a problem, but they have a solution? That's the best. That's my favorite, right? So they say, Jesus, I don't know if you've been, you know, following the time, but it's almost supper time, and we're getting hungry, and we can hear the stomach's grumbling of the people in the crowd. They're getting hungry too. We don't know if you've heard that, but we hear it. The people are going to be hungry. It's going to be time for dinner. So we have a solution. Let's send everybody away and they can go out into uh, the countryside, into small towns, and they can buy food and secure safe lodging for the night. Problem solved. The disciples have come up with a plan for the people to take care of their own needs and at the same time support local economies, right? That's a win-win. That's a great plan. You can almost see how pleased the disciples are with their idea. They're kind of patting themselves on the back, like, oh, we did it. But once again, Jesus surprises. He surprises his disciples with a counteroffer. He says to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus does not offer some blanket statement that somebody somewhere should feed the crowd. He doesn't say, wouldn't it be great if somebody could organize a potluck or a buffet for us right here in this place? Huh, if only somebody could do that. No, Jesus specifically looks at his disciples, the 12, and says, you, y'all, give them something to eat. Jesus invites his disciples to consider how they could be part of the solution, how they could be part of feeding hungry people, and in a small way, be part of making a better world. I can imagine the disciples, right after Jesus says this to them, that they almost immediately start counting. 
They start counting the number of people in the crowd. Oh, looks like there's about 5,000 men. Oh, and by the way, in our patriarchal society, we don't count women and children. But if we were to count women and children, and we should, let's see, let's count them. Oh, it'd be about 15,000 people. Oh, let's see, what, what do we have in our collected money bag? Oh, we're counting up our coins. We're seeing what we have. Oh, let's see, what food do we have at our disposal? Uh, five loaves and two fish. I don't think that's going to do it. And so they go back to Jesus. And they say, well, this is what we have. Five loaves and two fish. And unless you want us to go into town and buy more food for the people, we don't know what to do. And by the way, we don't really think it's a good idea to use our resources to go buy this food for the people. That doesn't seem like good stewardship. Huh. Jesus sees them and he hears them. And he tells them to seat the people in groups of 50. The disciples, they go, they disperse into the crowd, and everybody turns to see what Jesus is going to do next. Jesus takes bread and fish. Jesus blesses them, and he breaks them. And Jesus gives the bread and the fish to the disciples to give to the people. And everyone eats until they are full. Not only that, there are leftovers. Scholars debate how such a feeding could take place. Some say perhaps the miracle was in the generosity of the people. As people in the crowd saw the disciples gathering the meager bread and fish that they had at their disposal, people were moved to compassion and generosity. So people began opening their lunch boxes and sharing with their neighbors, sharing with strangers, the clean and the unclean sharing together. Jesus' actions invited not only the disciples, but the rest of the crowd to participate in a feeding ministry that day. Or another way to look at it. Perhaps the miracle was the multiplication of bread and fish. And if we believe that the God of the universe created out of nothing and is still at work sustaining creation today, then is it such a stretch of the imagination that the same God could feed 15,000 people? That seems like small potatoes compared to the universe. Perhaps this story is not an account of a first century potluck and instead a metaphor for how God feeds us with God's grace. Grace miraculously flows from God through Jesus to the disciples and from the disciples to the crowd. And for generations, God's grace has been flowing through Jesus' followers until it meets us here today in this place. God's grace continues to feed us until we are full, and even then, there are leftovers. We don't ever run out. 
of God's grace. However you interpret this passage, whether literally or figuratively or somewhere in between, this story shows us that God is always reaching out to include us, human beings, in God's activity in the world. So if we look at Jesus' actions, perhaps we can see a model for how we too can act in the world in response to God's invitation. Jesus takes who he is, a fully human person who's somehow in some way also the son of God, and he takes what he has available, five loaves and two fish. Jesus blesses them. Jesus gives thanks to God for these resources. He gives thanks to God, who is the source of all blessing and provision. Perhaps Jesus also gives thanks for the crowd, for the people who have gathered here today. Perhaps as part of that, Jesus blesses and speaks good of the crowd. Jesus takes that bread and he breaks it. Jesus breaks apart that which is whole so that it can be shared with many. And Jesus gives the bread and fish to the disciples so the disciples can join in with Jesus in feeding the hungry. You and I, we can take ourselves and what resources we have available. You and I can take ourselves and our resources and offer them to God. We can give thanks to God for the blessings that God has given to us. Even when those blessings don't seem to be enough, we can give thanks. We can give thanks to God for creating us as the people we are. We can give thanks to God for the people around us, perhaps the very people we are called to serve. Giving thanks is sharing in God's blessing. You and I, we can acknowledge the brokenness in our lives and in the world. We are imperfect people. Our gifts and our resources are imperfect. Anything we do or say is also imperfect. And that's okay. Because in the mystery of God and the miracle of God's grace, our brokenness and the brokenness of the world are somehow healed through giving and sharing. It's what Jesus did with his very life by giving unconditional love, God's favor and grace upon us. Jesus gave of his very life so that we may be healed, so that we might be made new. You and I can give of our imperfect selves and our imperfect resources. that we can somehow join with Jesus 
so that others may be served and healed through our giving. In just a few moments, we will celebrate Holy Communion. And if you listen to the communion liturgy, you will hear these words, take, blessed, broken, given. It describes Jesus' life. What he did in the feeding of the 5,000, it describes what he did with his disciples in the upper room. This also describes the invitation that God offers to us. And will you take your life? Bless, break, and give to others. And the communion liturgy will also hear this phrase. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. We are invited to this table to receive God's grace through bread and cup or in our case, wafer and juice. And we believe that God's grace meets us in these simple elements, that God's grace nourishes us and empowers us to go from this place so that we can be the body of Christ, so that through our words and our actions, people may experience God's love and grace made real in the world. Today, God offers you an, an invitation to receive Holy Communion to be fed, and also to feed others. As we start a new sermon series, A Better World is Possible, I ask you a question. Do you believe that a better world is possible? Do you believe that God wants there to be a better world? Do you believe that God is working through people in this very moment to make a better world? I want a better world. I want to believe that God is at work making a better world even as I speak. But some days I doubt. I can be burdened by the heartbreak happening in the people around me. I can be stressed out. I can get angry and lose my temper. I'm frustrated when I see people who call themselves Christian fail to act in what I think are Christ-like ways. I'm discouraged when I, too, fail to love God and to love my neighbor. I can get discouraged when I hear of disease and tragedy and natural disasters and famine and all of the brokenness in the world. So I confess that sometimes it's hard to believe. Dallas Willard reminds us 
We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Or as Rachel Held Evans wrote, so perhaps a better question than do I believe in miracles is am I acting like I do? Am I including the people who are typically excluded? Am I feeding the hungry and caring for the sick? Am I holding the hands of the homeless and offering help to addicts? Am I working to break down religious and political barriers that marginalize ethnic, religious, and sexual minorities and people with disabilities? Am I behaving as though life is more than a meaningless, chaotic mess? That there is some order in the storm? On the days when we find it hard to believe that God is making a better world, on the days when we find it hard to say that, perhaps the invitation before us is to act as if we do believe it. What is the very next thing that we can do to respond to God's invitation to make a better world possible? God invites you today. Will we accept God's invitation? Will we act as if a better world is possible? Let us pray. Jesus, you are the bread of life and the bread of heaven. Feed us this day and every day. Feed us until we are full. Send us out to be the bread of life for a hungry world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.